Well, we're back tonight, Book of James, in our second study. Last week, having started with this particular uh, letter and uh, looking to take the study a little further tonight in the next couple of verses um, of this book. So, welcome. Thank you for joining me and uh, do trust that our time together uh, this evening will be of great benefit. Not a, not an easy topic tonight and, and I confess even for myself uh, this is a, a difficult topic to talk about, uh, to, to teach on, but I believe a, a very helpful uh, passage as we consider the issue of trials and, and hardship. And even the title of this evening's message, I've called it Facing the Pain of Ongoing Trials. So let's pray together. We'll pray for each other and, uh, and then we'll go on with the reading of the scriptures and then seeking to just try and understand what it is that, that God is saying to us uh, through uh, James in this particular instance. And so, Lord, we do come this evening wanting to be very sensitive to those who are facing particular hardship. And we ask, Lord, that as we consider your word tonight, that your word would come with much power. And, Lord, uh, comfort and strength and wisdom. And ultimately, we know that it's not just words, but, Lord, your word and your Holy Spirit at work in your people, in us, your people. And so we do pray for a great helpfulness and blessing, your grace in our lives, and Lord, your enabling, even in the midst of the most difficult times that we face in our lives. Thank you for the word, Lord, that you don't leave us uh, without any guidance or counsel. And we pray that our understanding, the eyes of faith, Lord, the ears of faith, even to be further opened as we consider this passage tonight. Looking to you, we pray, trusting you as the Lord Almighty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to read two passages. We are going to study the uh, passage in James. But there's a very similar passage or similar uh, type of counsel also provided in uh, by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, in the letter that he writes. Uh, both authors are writing to persecuted Christians and uh, and therefore similarity in the message they bring. So first of all, let's take a look at James, James chapter 1, and I will pick it up in verse 1 where we read James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Then the passage, the verses that we'll consider tonight. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then if we go across and uh, just want to read the passage, and I, and I will come back to it later on, I'll refer to some of these uh, sentences, these statements made by the Apostle Peter as well. So 1 Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 3, wonderful, really, uh, section of this book. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not uh, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So both those passages, and I'm sure uh, you noted some of the uh, similarities Uh, The teachings do not contradict one another. They reinforce, they complement each other, particularly in this issue of trials and difficulties and being tested in our faith. So I do want to begin and and just uh, ask a question, just as you consider your own life, as you look around at the people in your circles of, of influence and even beyond your circle of influence, people you know in the context of work or perhaps even in, in the uh, broader congregation of the church. Is there anyone out there that you know of that has a trouble-free life? Well, James writes this letter to people, to believers, who have been scattered through many nations uh, people, people who had been subjected to persecution and were literally running to save their lives. And so they, they are people that have gone through, that are going through extreme difficulty. Uh, the persecution had, had uh, come upon the church, had, had forced them to run for their lives. And so now imagine, imagine, and, and we don't have to extend our minds very far to understand something of the ordeal Uh, They must have faced um, having left behind the familiar, having gone to places that they didn't really know, maybe to places where they were not really uh, welcome, uh, places where they struggled to find employment, uh, places where they were excluded from general society because they they weren't part of of that particular community or that city. And and very much like many people that have come to Pretoria from countries north of us, uh, people coming to us years ago from Burundi when there were all those awful things that happened there, Rwandans, and and even in more recent years uh, from, from the Congo, Congolese people having to come just to find relief, find safety, Uh, for their lives. And so these people, yes, they they were definitely facing hardships. They were severe hardships. They were facing challenges. Uh, They were foreigners. They were intruders seen by many in the places that they went to. So so that's their circumstance. That's their situation. And and as I read this passage, it seems, it seems, if one reads this passage superficially and you don't think through the issues, it seems to me that James adds fuel to the fire of their pain. It's like it's like they already wounded, and and now he, there, there's a knife in the wound, and and he's twisting that knife, and and the wound is is even more painful, and 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 it feels even more difficult, and and so as they get this letter, and the reason I say that a superficial reading of these verses, as they get this letter from James, 
He's telling them in the midst of all these hardships, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now taking that verse in and of itself almost seems cruel. And so my very first point this evening, and I want to uh, ask the very important question, is this a ridiculous command? Imagine yourself being in a position, and you may well be in that position tonight, of facing particular hardship and difficulty and trial, and, and somebody writes you a note, they give you a letter, and they quote this particular verse, and they say to you that you are to count or consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. It will not be received easily or well unless it is understood as intended. And so people in difficulty, we know, if anything, uh, they're in need of encouragement. And he's telling them to consider it joy, count it all joy when you face these many trials. And so it is true. I think we must acknowledge that that command sounds irrational. It seems nonsensical, it seems insensitive, it seems blind to the reality of life, and particularly life when it is difficult. It is, it is as if this well-meaning brother, James, is really out of touch with reality, that he's switched off and, and cut off from the everyday struggles of life. And sometimes people do that. Sometimes people are, as it were, sitting in an ivory tower and they're completely insensitive. They're out of touch. They say things, they quote things, and, and, and they, they really hurt people in the process. And so we do need to ask the question, is James out of touch? Is he living in some kind of cocoon or monastery that he's lost touch with the people that he's now writing to? Or, and here's the important thing, or has he got something important to say to Christians, struggling Christians, on this matter of hardship? I think it's the latter. He does He does have something to say to us, to say to you tonight, if you're going through hardship, let's let's work through this passage. Let's try and understand what it is that he's saying by this particular statement. And I'll try to break it up, and there are a whole bunch of uh, questions and statements I'm going to make as we move through the study tonight. The very first one being, what does he mean by trials? So the root meaning of the word is to try Uh, or to prove, we could perhaps even use the word test, there's a testing that's going on, and and what we do see in the broader context of the Bible, that this word is used both in a good sense, and also in a bad or negative, or even destructive sense. So let me explain. On the one hand, it is true, and we see this in Job, It is true that trials can be sent by God in order to display the authenticity of somebody's faith. Remember remember Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And the response of Satan, well, does he serve God for nothing? And, 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 And the point is that Satan is trying to challenge the authenticity, the sincerity or the genuineness of his faith. And then God responds and and God sets the parameters and allows Satan to test Job. 
But, but the point and the purpose of the particular testing is actually to display authenticity, sincerity. And, 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 and as we see in, in the book of Job, he stands. He doesn't forsake his faith. He doesn't turn his back on God. His faith does not evaporate. There are, on the other hand, testings or temptations that come from Satan. And the intention of Satan is to make a person fall. Jesus to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has sought to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. And, and we know that that, that is his intention. Uh, masquerades uh, as an as a angel of light. He sometimes comes as a roaring lion, but, but his intention is to trip you up, trying to destroy the faith that you say that you have in God, that you profess that you have in God. So in testing, you may see on the one hand, God is aiming at your development. I'll speak to, to that issue a little bit uh, more just now. And then secondly, uh, in tempting you, Satan is aiming at your disgrace and at the opposite purposes, the opposite intentions. Satan is aiming at your destruction. And so in both, case, both cases, it, it, it must be seen that an individual, and it may be you, is being put to the test. So what does it mean by trials? Those two particular things. Well, then I want to move on to a second point and ask another question. Are trials a real part of life? Now, I started the study by introducing uh, the study with a question. I said, look around and, 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 and ask your, uh, yourself, uh, is this a common problem? And uh, if you really know people, you will discover that there are people all around you. And there's that very familiar phrase, bit of a cliche, there are people sitting around you in pools of tears. People are hurting. People are sad. People are disappointed. People are being tempted and tested and going through hardship. And, and so it's very easy to decide. It, 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 it's no surprise to me that the Holy Spirit... Uh, uh, guiding the writer, uh, yeah, James, to use the word whenever, not, not if, whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if, in the course of your life, there will be times when you will face trials. And the intensity of those trials, the severity of those trials will probably vary uh, from person to person. But they, they will be there. As, as long as you and I are in this world, even those of us who are believers, you will be under pressure. You will be tested in one way or another. And, and, and so I want to, to, to put that out there. I want to prepare you. I want you to know that the scriptures do not exempt us Christians from suffering from facing hardship, from facing difficulties and being tested and being disappointed and, and all the difficulties that, uh, that come about in the course of life. Now, it may seem, and, and I, I, in the course of ministry, I get to know a lot of people, I see a lot of people, and it does seem to me that there are some people who are trouble-free. trouble, trouble free. Their life just seems to be easy. Well, it may seem like that. Uh, I don't know. We don't always know what's going on. Sometimes people are not transparent. Sometimes they don't share their particular struggles. 
But the general pattern is, as Psalm 73 verse, uh, no, that's not Psalm 73. I was <laughs> quoting the wrong verse over there. Trials and temptations are part and parcel of a Christian's daily life. And uh, we need to be aware of it. We need to be prepared for it and not be surprised when they come. And so a couple more comments that we can make. Uh, trials are part of life. They will not disappear. Uh, Paul reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that temptation also can be translated testing is common to man. An inevitable and inescapable life experience. It's no good looking on the earth for a situation that really only exists in heaven. Another comment is they will not be reduced. There's no suggestion in the Bible, and I think this is an important uh, observation to make. There's no uh, suggestion or teaching in the Bible that your life will get easier as you grow in your faith. Strong faith, life easy, everything goes my way. That's not true. That's a false doctrine. It's false teaching. The opposite is true. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 makes it very clear Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will face hardship. And so there's no point in this life where you can anticipate a reduction or elimination of the possibility of difficulty or trial. It will inevitably come. There will be, my popular phrase, my uh, one of my, I think, uh, frequently quoted phrases, there are going to be bends many bends in the road. Also to notice here from this passage that trials will vary in nature. Uh, second, The second verse, trials of many kinds. Now Peter makes exactly the same point, by the way, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, they're not the same for all of us. The kind of things that you are facing, maybe will face in the future, and the things that I'm facing and will face, different, different. Even if it's the same kind of testing. And, and I know even with my own recent uh, grieving and, and, and loss of Carol. The, 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 my grief and, and, and my experience that I've gone through in, in what led up to her passing. And what has subsequently happened since her passing. Is very different to somebody else who also lost a spouse. But the important thing to understand is that each and every one will feel that as, as, as a difficulty, as a hardship, as, as a trial, as a test to their faith. They're not the same for any one of us. Well, having established then that trials and hardships are a very real part of our lives in this world, even as believers, we now need to get on to really what is the difficult issue. And question uh, the statement to really understand in this passage. Is it possible to consider trials as pure joy? Is it possible to count our trials as joy? Well, I'm going to try and uh, explain or elaborate uh, to make sense of this particular statement so that it can be helpful uh, to you and and uh, I trust helpful even in my own context and life, and so it is easier to begin by clarifying and putting aside what this command does not mean. So let's 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 just 
put the rubbish aside. Let's let's get rid of what 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 uh, the conclusions people would jump to incorrectly. Uh, James is not commending an all-encompassing joyful emotion during a trial. So you go through a particular difficulty, you find that you've been retrenched from work, you've lost your job, you've lost your source of income, it's an extreme difficulty in your life. Uh, He's not suggesting that on the way home in the car you start singing joyful, joyful. That, That is not the intention. Definitely not the intention to pretend that there isn't sadness and disappointment and hurt uh, would not be true to the passage before us. He's not demanding that you enjoy your trials. It's no fun going through a difficulty. It's no fun when somebody mocks you in the workplace because you're a believer and you have certain standards and and you you believe in the person of the Lord Jesus and you go to church on Sunday to worship with others. It's no fun when somebody turns around and passes snide comments and and, and criticizes you and, and, and seeks to embarrass and belittle you. You don't laugh through that kind of thing. Uh, that's certainly not what James is is commending in this passage. So he's not commanding that we jump up and down because of a particular trial. Uh, you've discovered you've got a terminal disease and, and so now uh, you must be happy. No, 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 no. That's, that's not, none of that is what he intends over here. Let me go to the positive. What is he then? What is he then saying to us uh, regarding Counting it all joy. James is commending a conscious embrace of a particular, a certain way of life in the bigger uh, context, in the bigger scheme of things. It's a context, it's an embracing of a way of life that brings joy in spite of and in the midst of the inevitability of testing. So the testing takes place in a particular time at a particular place, but surrounding that is a far greater context of where your life is at and where your life is going and and ultimately even uh, the the prospect of glory and heaven. And, And so the joy, the joy comes in a broader context in which the trial takes place. And so it is a way of life. It is a way of life that looks to and trusts the Holy Spirit of God as a source of strength in the midst of the difficulty, as a source of this sense of settled contentment and joy in the broader context of the difficulty. It's not the trial that is the source of joy. It's God and the grace of God that is the source of joy in the context of your life. And so he's speaking here of you and I having a certain mindset. There is a mindset that we need to adopt as believers because of who we are in Christ, because of the blessings that we have from him, in him, and the prospects that we have, not only here, but also 
into eternity. And so it, it is an adopting of a way of life, uh, a prospect, as opposed to as opposed to bitterness and resentment. It's a way of life that rather produces a calmness and a steadiness of mind. Now I want to go to the example that we have of Jesus. And uh, the example that I have in mind is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember when he prayed and there is the prospect of the cross. Jesus knows that there will be those moments on the cross where he would be subjected to the wrath of God, not just the physical suffering in his body, the ordeal and pain that he was to go through uh, on behalf of sinners, but the spiritual separation also, which was part of the work he was doing for us sinful people, the anticipation of all of that causes him to pray. And when he came to the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation, is what he tells the disciples. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So, so what do we have here? We, we have Jesus in terms of his emotion in terms of his actual understanding of, of the ordeal and the difficulty that he's about to go through, he doesn't, he, he, he prays, Lord, if possible, Father, if possible, remove this from me. He's not jumping up and down because the Father has sent him to do this particular thing. No. If you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there is the blessing in this instance. There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And notice verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down onto the ground. Agony. Agony. However, now we take that context that passage and we turn to another passage in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 and we're told there by the author of Hebrews the writer to the Hebrews let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame sit and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, he is offering counsel yet to think through the full picture. That's, that, that's what Jesus did, not just the moments in the garden. The moments in the garden come in the broader context, in the bigger context of that which was being accomplished. The fulfillment of the will of the Father in securing the salvation of people, men and women, sinful men and women, from every nation, tribe and language, ultimately presenting them, they will be presenting and worship at the throne of God forever and ever. A securing of salvation to the glory of God. And so a settled conclusion. There must be the thinking. You and I need to include into our mindset into our worldview, 
that the difficulty we're going through is an aspect. It, it's something that we're going through for a season, for a moment in time, in the context of the larger, the bigger picture of not only this life, but all of eternity. And, and, and I want to add to that, in the same way that Jesus understood the importance and significance and the joy, the delight of submitting to the will of the Father, fulfilling the will of the Father, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because knowing, and, and this is something I have been reminding myself of over these past years, and, and, and more, more so even in these past months since Carol's passing, I remind myself almost daily, don't forget that God is a good God. God is good and that God is all wise. God is not malicious. God is not a tyrant. But God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God has a redemptive purpose. And, and, and it's hard for me to understand it. God's ways are not my ways. You don't understand God's ways as I don't understand God's ways. But having the greater or the bigger context encompassing the pain that we feel, the sadness that we experience, the disappointment that can sometimes even feel us, make us feel crushed. You see, what options, what options do you and I have in the midst of being tested and tried? Again, question I have thought of frequently, often. What, what are our options? What do we do? Now, I don't want to be too simplistic or naive, but, but really the, the two routes, the two options that, that you can take. And, and, and let's consider them. Uh, just lost my PowerPoint. There we go. The one option, you can, simp you can let it get to you. You can let this hardship, this disappointment, this grieving eat you up and drive you to bitterness and resentment and more and more feeding your frustration with a festering resentment against others and against God. And I can guarantee you that that particular pathway, that particular journey will take you to a place of great bitterness, where you'll be totally crushed by defeat and hopelessness. That, that, that is the road. That is a decision you've got to make. I'm not going down that road. We go down that road if we follow our natural instincts. And I want to caution you, as I caution myself, don't allow your feelings to lead you. Sometimes, and I've said this before, you need to speak to yourself. I find myself speaking to myself, preaching to myself. Trust in God. What does His Word say? What has God revealed? What, what is He doing? What is the bigger picture? What is He like? Don't trust your natural instincts. Your natural instincts, instincts will drive you down the spiral of despair into, into a dark pit of resentment and bitterness. There is a better option. But recognize that in the midst of your difficulty, and that's why there is 
an ability to count a joy in the midst of difficulties. Recognize that God is at work in the midst of the difficulty with purpose. It's not random. It's not random. It, it, it's not just uh, the roll of the dice. You're the unlucky one and, and, and another person is the lucky one. No, 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 no. I've learned in the course of my life to accept the teaching of the Bible regarding the sovereignty and the providence of God. And even like Joseph, sometimes there are dark providences. Joseph abandoned and sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember that? Joseph uh, lied about by Potiphar's wife. Joseph thrown into prison on the basis of misrepresentation and lying. Joseph forgot in prison. But where does it all lead? We get to the place later on where Joseph is able to say to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Man, I love the providence of God. God orchestrating, God at work, God sovereignly, powerfully working and weaving these hardships and testings and difficulties to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And so the alternative, the better alternative, recognizing God at work with purpose requires faith. And, and the faith is in God and trusting God, believing God that he is at work with a particular purpose. And so as we move on trying to understand it, the point I'm trying to make is we wonder why. We wonder why. One thing, at least in part, we can answer the question. The various trials have spiritual value. Always. Spiritual value. They're not, they are not events that are arbitrary or insignificant. In fact, in our passage, we see that James mentions two different results that your trials can be achieving. And this is where the Apostle Peter is also helpful. The first is that evidence of true faith. It is in the midst of a hardship that the genuineness of your faith is tested. Just like gold. When it's subjected to the high temperatures in a furnace, furnace and the dross is boiled out, if you like, so it is with our faith. It's very easy to give undertakings and to make statements and to give declarations and give all sorts of um, aspirations even uh, about God and, and to God and, and for God when things are easy. But does that come from genuine faith? And it's in the midst of the trial that that faith that you claim is tested. And if the faith is not genuine, it evaporates. And I've seen that in the course of my ministry. Uh, two people, a similar kind of, of difficulty. 
One responds in faith and the faith is strengthened. Another responds negativity and, and criticism and resentment and bitterness toward God and they disappear off the scene. The bottom line is the faith was never genuine. And so, so as hard as it is, the trial is, is giving you, is giving me the assurance that the testing of the faith, when proved genuine, that there can be a confidence and assurance about your standing with God and eternity, that you will be counted amongst those who are welcomed into his presence, recipients of grace, worshipping him, serving him, being in that place that we know very little about in terms of detail, Bible describing it as the new heaven and the new earth knowing that we will not be cast, as it were, away from the presence of God, suffering in a place where the worm does not die. The bigger picture, it's the bigger picture. Professions of faith need to be shown to be valid or real. And, 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 and dear friend, it, it, it's a good thing that God takes us through these things so that our faith can be proved. In the providence of God, trials and temptations are instruments for proving the validity of your claim to have faith. Referring to 1 Peter, testing is a word used for assessing the purity of metal. Real faith does not evaporate or disappear when suffering comes. Clinging to God in the midst of your testing proves your faith to be genuine. Which leads to the second result. And he speaks here, I've called it steady progress, but uh, the verse, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And I would even add to that, it strengthens, it strengthens your faith. You will grow. I will grow in the right response to the trials that come in our lives. You will grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and and the point is that you will make progress you will make progress in persevering in your walk of faith enabled to do again we go back to hebrews chapter 12 let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and so trials strengthens us enables us to make progress it gives us staying power, enabling us to finish the race, to be able to say with Paul, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, and now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Just a thought that comes into my mind. I know that when I'm training in my running uh, escapades, uh, people often say, how can you enjoy running? You know? Well, the truth of the matter is that while you're running, sometimes you don't enjoy it. It's quite painful. Uh, you, know, you run out of oxygen and the legs get sore, and particularly at my age now, more so, it, it, it can be quite painful. But I know when I'm running up Daffodil Street, at the end of a 10-kilometer run. When I do the 21-kilometer, the half marathon, 
I'm going to be better equipped to finish the race and do so well. And, and, and that's an illustration of what trials do in our lives. It enables us to finish the race in the long haul of things. So perseverance is not an end in itself. The end product is that you, as we're told in this passage, that you become mature and complete. It's the ongoing work and ultimately at the end of life, the completion of this process of sanctification. In fact, let's not forget the truth that every Christian is predestined to be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. Romans 8 verse 29. And God will be at work uh, in our circumstances, in our lives, around us, as it were, panel beating and ironing out all those spots and wrinkles and dents that need attention. Well, I must conclude. I hope I have not this evening in any sense minimized or come across in any way that minimizes pain that you may be feeling at this particular time. Your pain is real, and I want to tell you my pain is real. As real as the agony Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't ignore or pretend that those emotions are not real. And so my understanding of the passage is not to suggest a jolliness or frivolousness or flippant approach to the tough things in life. No, 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 no. My intention and certainly what I'm learning, and I'm learning this as I go along myself, it's a wonderful thing to be a child of the living God. It's a wonderful thing to know that this God who is infinite and majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing, a God who is self-sufficient, has an interest in me as an insignificant nobody. It is a plan. It is a purpose unfolding, a redemptive purpose that has included me in his redemptive work that Jesus ultimately completed on the cross. And so I want to remind myself, preach to myself, Trust God. Trust God. He knows. He knows what he's doing. He's present among us. He's personally involved in the unfolding and challenges and difficulties in our life. It's wonderful to have him as our father and we as his children. And so, Lord, I do pray, and I pray especially for the hurting tonight, those who feel tested, and even reaching, as it were, the end of their tether. Won't you grant them by your Spirit, Lord, a real sense of what we've been speaking about tonight, the trial in the midst of a much bigger picture of blessing, prospect of joy, the reality of relationship with you, knowing that you hold us in your hand. We pray, Lord, as you promised, that you would, by your Spirit, come alongside in counsel and comfort, just giving support where it is needed. And again, as I prayed earlier, Lord, the eyes of faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Just one more slide, and, and it is the slide of just the questions. And uh, have a look at those, and perhaps a topic that you can discuss. And certainly think about yourself, uh, taking a snapshot of those pictures. And and uh, trusting that this week will be a, a blessed week. Looking to God. Uh, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. So God bless and uh, we trust we see each other uh, again, God willing, on the weekend.